All right. Hey, good morning again. How are we? Are we are we limbered up? We ready to, we ready to go? We ready to rock and roll? I'm ready to preach today. So I hope you're ready to listen. I hope you're more alive than first service. Uh, we need to do CPR and get out some pacemakers. So let's let's wake up, okay? Let's get ready. Here we go. Uh, I I want to highlight just just quickly before we jump in. Uh, if you're not using the Church Center app, I want to remind you about that. You can download that the Church Center app on your app store, whether iPhone or Android, you can find those things. And the Church Center app is going to be integral to everything we do in 2021 and beyond. Uh, all of church life um, digitally can happen there. And so want to make sure you're utilizing that, especially want to highlight the sermon notes portion. Uh, you can find that in the more tab at the bottom of the screen. There's a whole page that'll be just for sermon notes. There's some, um, some ideas in there to get your notes going. Hopefully you're taking those in a journal or on your device, typing those out. So there's some main thoughts and some passages of scripture you can utilize as we go through the sermon today. Um, a few years ago, I came across a website called honestslogans.com. Anyone ever heard of honest slogans? Anyone? Anyone? Good, 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 good. Uh, I, I like honest slogans, and, and here's what it is. It's a jab at some popular brand names and about what we might actually think about them or use them for. So here's, a, here's an example. Here's the first one. Uh, Kickstarter. We heard of Kickstarter before? Few, okay, that's 400% more than first service, so we're off to a better start. Kickstarter, get money for absolutely anything. Okay, it's a crowdfunding website, all right? Okay, we're, we're warming up. Let's go to the next one. BuzzFeed. Okay, we know BuzzFeed. I know you know BuzzFeed because you don't stop taking those quizzes. And here's the honest slogan about BuzzFeed. Nobody cares which Disney character you'd be, okay? No one cares. Stop. Stop sharing it. Stop telling us. We don't care. Next one. Taco Bell. Also open when you're sober, okay? First service. Loved that one. Next one. U-Haul. No experience driving a large truck, Good luck. That's, that's an honest slogan. Burger King, have it your way. Eat somewhere else, right? And does anyone actually like Burger King? Is it? Oh, man. Both of you? Mark, are you a Burger King guy? Okay. I thought you raised your hand. I was, we were going to have an intervention. I was going to lay hands and pray for you. Okay. The North Face for outdoor adventures across school campuses, right? Next one, Radio Shack. We remember Radio Shack, everyone? You've got questions, we've got nothing. That's Radio Shack. A couple more. Amazon, this has never been more true than 2020. Priming us to never leave the house, correct? Right? You click it, buy it, it's there. Last one, HBO Go, hoping your ex-roommate's ex-girlfriend's stepbrother won't change the password. As the kids would say, Dryden, that's facts, correct? Okay, thank you. I'm still with it. Guys, I think when it comes to following Jesus, we like to be under the guise of ignorance. We like to not know because if we were of the full knowledge, then we would have more expectation and responsibility placed on us. There would be more required of us. And so we like to just dance around the ideas that we find in the Bible with never actually digging into them. Today we are going to look at, and we've already read, a very plain and clear passage of Scripture found in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus has been teaching in parables for some time. 
You see, I think if Jesus were to have an honest slogan about what it means to follow him, it's this. And here's the thought for today. If you walk out of here with nothing else, here it is. When it comes to following Jesus, you are either all in or nothing at all. When it comes to following Jesus, you are either all in or nothing at all, meaning every ounce of our lives has been taken captive by Christ. It's been placed intentionally and decisively into his hands to use for his glory and the advancement of his kingdom. And in these three verses, in these three verses we we will look at today, Jesus shares two parables to get across this one point, that you are either all in or nothing at all. There are no half-in followers of Jesus. So let's look again at the text. Hopefully you can pull that up in a Bible. It'll be on the screens or you can access that on your device. Here's Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. And when he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. This is one of those passages that, like, we read it and then we shake our Bible to see if more verse will come out. Like, Jesus, where's the rest of the story? This is too short. Where's the rest of what I'm supposed to glean from your teaching? And and Jesus has this incredible and unique ability to communicate clearly in just a few short sentences exactly what he wants to say. And there are many of you in the room who are praying that I have that same ability today. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's, that's a deeper level joke. We're not all going to get there. <clears throat> but we read a passage like this and we're saying, like, where's the catch? Like, where's the alternative? Where's the second option? But this is it. Jesus says it exactly like it is. It's simple, it's profound, and it's a passage of Scripture that many of us race through and read over because we don't want to actually think about what it means. So let's define some terms and just discuss them briefly as we, engaged, as we engage these parables today. What is a parable? A parable is a small story with a big idea that should prompt me to act. Some might say it this way, it is an earthly story with a heavenly idea. Over one-third of Jesus' teaching was done through parables, and when it comes to parables and really any kind of instruction, repetition denotes significance. Jesus tells two stories to make one point. And when reading parables, we should ask these three questions. Number one, who is God? Number two, who am I? Number three, what is expected of me? The ending of the parable illuminates that which is most important. We can see this clearly in a parable like that of the prodigal son, where Jesus tells this long story about a son who leaves home, but he finishes focusing on the heart of the father. That is the crux of the message. We also need to understand what kingdom is. The kingdom of heaven is like kingdom is the borderless, boundless reign of God that is established in the hearts of men and women and is advanced as they move the mission of Jesus throughout the world. The kingdom is already, but not yet. It's what we call inaugurated eschatology. How about that for some big church words today? You can show off to your friends later this week. It's already, but not yet. It's also reign over realm. 
It's lives rather than locations. It's also personal transformation that should lead to social change. It's never the other way around. Kingdom is everything. It is our purpose, our passion, and our pursuit as Christians. It is the privileged position of those ransomed by the supernatural grace of God to be invited into the kingdom of God. And to be invited into this kingdom is the penultimate chapter in our story as humans. It is the place at which we hope to be. And yet, so often we pull the veil back over our eyes, not truly seeing the beauty of kingdom living. And friends, the church is the primary means through which the kingdom is advanced. This messy, chaotic, unfinished group of people that has spanned two millennia and the entire globe is the desired vehicle for the gospel to go forward. So we must love the church and love to be a part of the church. And friends, the church is not a retreat from the world. As the church, we don't put up fences where we should build bridges. The church is not a club There should be no sense of entitlement or elitism, but rather within the church there should be a surplus of of servants who are ready to engage the world with the gospel. The church is not a place to hide. We don't ignore the happenings of the world. We engage them with all the love and wisdom and grace of Christ our King, claiming the dominion of darkness in the name of the kingdom of light. The church is also not a product to be consumed. We believe, and I submit to you today, that the church is a place to contribute, not consume. So we don't sit on the sidelines of kingdom work. Within the kingdom of God, there are no cheerleaders, only players. And in these parables, we find contrast and correlation. One man stumbles upon a treasure. The other has been searching for it for some time, but the response is the same. They sell everything they have to secure it. If you're taking notes with us today, the first idea is this, that when it comes to going all in, because you're either all in or nothing at all, the first thing you have to do is choose. And I've read this quote multiple places. Uh, It's been attributed to several different people. Let's say Abraham Lincoln said this for our time today. Before you swing your ax, choose your tree. Before you swing your ax, Choose your tree. If you don't, you'll hurt yourself and other people, and you'll waste a lot of time. There is no more spiritual act than to choose. There's no more spiritual act than to choose. And in the first narrative, we find this man who stumbles across a treasure. It was buried in a field. This was a common practice at the time uh, for three different reasons. Number one, things like banks and security deposit boxes didn't exist. They couldn't go place their prized possession in someone else's hands. They would have stolen it. They would have kept it for themselves. Number two, things were often hidden in fields to avoid looting from soldiers. You'll remember at this time in the world, there was constant unrest and upheaval. And whether it was Roman soldiers or guerrilla militias, uh, they were constantly ransacking towns and villages and taking from those people. And so people would bury what was valuable to them in fields. Number three, uh, people would go on long journeys, and when they did so, they buried what was valuable instead of leaving it in their house. Now, this treasure had belonged to someone else, but now this man encounters it, 
as he's taking a shortcut on his way home. Scholars agree that Jesus is drawing attention to the fact that this guy had not been searching for the treasure. He simply found it. He stumbled upon it. The sense in in, in which the Greek word hierisko, everyone say hierisko, it means to find or to come upon as if by accident. But he knew what he found as soon as he stumbled across it. Um, I, many of you know, I, I came here from Dallas. I was doing student ministry in Dallas for the last five years. And one of our most successful uh, youth ministry initiatives was to have Nerf Wars, okay? And we would uh, invite all the students in. We'd turn off all the lights in the building, and we'd just get loaded up, right? We, we would load ourselves down with guns and ammo, Kids would hide all throughout the building, and we would go to town for a few hours, and they would build forts, and, and it would, they'd just go crazy. And some of you are thinking, is that allowed in church? And I'm here to tell you, I talked to Jesus. He said it was cool, okay? So let's not get too bent out of shape about this, all right? Uh, perhaps the most incredible thing that ever happened at a, at a Nerf night, because um, really it was an incredibly effective means to engage with students that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to. Because uh, who wouldn't want to go to church when you're turning off the lights and shooting guns, right? So lots of kids would come that otherwise uh, wouldn't have been there. And the most incredible thing that ever happened at a Nerf night was a baptism. It was remarkable. Uh, I need to kind of set the scene for you. I need to paint a picture of our church uh, in Dallas. Uh, it was a large auditorium, and, and the baptistry was actually up high. It was up towards the, the ceiling of the room, 25 feet or so off the ground. And there were stairs around uh, the back hallways that led up to either side of the baptistry. And so you can imagine uh, kids are running up and down those stairs. They're, they're going all through the building, and it's, it's total darkness. And so I'm in the worship center. I'm hiding under a pew, kind of scoping things out, uh, trying to bait my next kill, if you will. And I hear kids running up and down the stairs, and I hear, splash, right? And this kid, never met him before in my life, hey, welcome to church, ran headlong straight into the baptistry and just found himself there. And so I had to go up there and get him some towels and clean him off. And now, guys, that's not a true baptism, right? Uh, some of you think youth ministry is easy. All you do is turn off the lights and tell kids to run around. They'll find Jesus. It's not a true baptism because it only matters if you know what it means, right? Baptism only matters if you know what it means, And this man here stumbled into something. He didn't plan on finding that treasure, just like my young friend did not plan on going home soaking wet. But as soon as he found it, he knew what it meant. He knew that it meant his life was changed forever. The text tells us that he sells everything he had to purchase the field. And many scholars say this indicates that he was a poor man. Had he simply lifted the treasure from the field and and taken it, he would have run into legal trouble. There were laws that dictated that those who had ownership of of a field owned everything within it. It was the only sure way for him to be the rightful owner was it was to buy the entire field because whoever owned the field owned all of what it held. So this man liquidates everything that he has, which apparently was not very much in order to secure this treasure. And it was his joy to do so. Because the value of the treasure far outweighed the cost to secure it. Jesus' first lesson to us in these parables is this, that the value of the kingdom far outweighs the cost of discipleship. 
And for all of us, we have to choose the treasure of Jesus over and above our rags of unrighteousness. On paper, it sounds like an easy trade, a simple exchange, but our deep-rooted sin nature, it's holding on for dear life. And the truth is, in many cases, we love our sin more than we love the Savior who died to free us from it. We don't have a behavior problem. We have a worship problem. We don't have an addiction issue. We have an awe issue. We don't have a sin issue. We have a self issue. We have elevated the created things over the creator. In his book, Awe, author Paul David Tripp writes these words about the nation of Israel. As God was on the mountain proving himself to be God, Israel was at the base of the mountain working to replace him. Ascribing awe to the wrong things is all about attributing something to the physical creation. Yes, even the work of your hands, what only God could do. It's failing to give praise where praise is actually due and giving praise to something that you could not have produced, the thing that caused you to give praise. You will live in awe of what you credit with the blessing of of your life. And you will worship whatever it is you think has produced what you celebrate. So this is only a difficult exchange if we behold the created more than the creator. And I'm amazed at the number of people who want to live in a middle ground of a religion that by default has no middle ground. You're either all in or nothing at all. I can't choose this for you. Mom, dad, husband, wife can't choose this for you. This is not just for some people who follow Jesus. This is for all people who follow Jesus. It's not for people who are just well-educated biblically. This isn't just for those who are in full-time ministry. There are no tears in the kingdom of God. Like some of us are reading this passage, hearing this sermon, like, well, yeah, this is like the platinum level, and I'm more interested in like the bronze or silver. Where's that passage in the Bible? I'd, I'd like to follow Jesus at a, somewhere between a bronze and a silver level. Where's the option for those of us who just want to casually give and kind of observe and participate in things when it's convenient for us, but when Jesus comes back, like, we still all get to go to heaven? I I want that option. No. This is the invitation of Jesus. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, you've heard this passage. says this, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you would come after me and be my disciple, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life on account of me, you will find it. There is no space in your heart to have Jesus and anything. It's Jesus and nothing. See, the second lesson that Jesus wants to teach us in these parables is this, that you are either all in or nothing at all. Matthew never provides a dictionary-type definition of the kingdom, but rather establishes the kingdom identity in terms of its origins. The kingdom begins and ends with Jesus. The reign of the kingdom is identified by the reach of its ruler, those whose hearts reflect the heart of God. Those people are part of the kingdom of God. And we know what the heart of God is like the more we encounter him, spend time in his presence, commune with him, worship him, speak to, about him to other people. We learn what it means to please God. 
Some of you will understand it in these terms. Early on in my relationship with my wife, while we were dating or while we were engaged and, and recently married, I needed to call her every time to make sure I got her food order right. Amen? This is an important part of marriage, okay? There are specific things that are required, and you can't just fill in the blanks willy-nilly. But I am so proud of myself. 2021 is going to be a good year. The other day, I went to a, a, a restaurant to pick up some food for us, and Bailey's first drink option was not available. Woo. Okay? I am proud to say that in that moment, I knew exactly what her second choice would be. I'd figured it out. Seven and a half years later, I've got this down. Because I've taken the time to walk with her, understand her, know what she desires and what she wants. And friends, the same is true of our walk with Jesus. It's not complicated. We're just called to walk with him. And listen, there is no prize for knowing where the treasure is. See, the the prize is in the possession, to have it. In the kingdom, you are either all in or nothing at all. There is no in-between. And we must choose the Savior over our sin. He is the treasure. He is the prize. He is salvation. He is life itself. And he is the only thing worth our everything. Too many of us want the treasure or the pearl and everything else that we want. But there is no securing the treasure without the sacrifice of self. If you want to go all in, you have to choose Second thing you have to do is change. Consider the radical change necessary for these men to secure the treasure. Both of them had to sell all that they had. Every piece of clothing, every ounce of gold, every item of jewelry, every sheep, every gift card to Starbucks, every pair of Jordans, every vacation home, every fancy car that sits in the garage and is only brought out on special occasions, and there's no way in the world your nephew's taking it to prom, that car, okay? They had to sell it all. We assume that everything that this man sold was valuable, but that's not true. Certainly not true of you or me. Who owns a Walkman? You know what that's worth? Nothing. You know how much your grandkids like it? Zero. Doesn't have a screen. But you paid a pretty penny for it back in the day. The exchange of our cheap imitation life and belongings for real, true, authentic life with Jesus is the greatest fleecing of all time. And Jesus says, bring it on. That's what I want. We just celebrated Christmas, and I want to call your memory back into that space. Remember Christmas when you were a child? You sit around the Christmas tree, and all the family was there, and you open up your package from Grandma, it's like, hey, thanks, socks again this year, thanks, Grandma. Somebody gives you like an orange or other random piece of fruit, and it's like, hey, this is, this is number one, thanks. You open a little box of Legos from your brother, and all these things happen, little gifts are exchanged, and then mom and dad pretend like Christmas is over. Like, that's it, time to pick up the wrapping paper, and they get the trash bag out, and dad does that. But wait, go look in the garage, or let me pull this out, and there's that one more big thing, that thing that you got that you can't believe your parents knew what to get you. For me, it was a snowboard when I was 11 years old, and I'm terrible at snowboarding. I hurt myself so many times, but it was amazing. They pulled it out from behind the Christmas tree, and there it was, exactly what I wanted. Take your mind back to just 20 minutes before that. You had given that gift to your dad or your mom, and you're like, hey, dad, uh, Merry Christmas. I got you some sticks that I wrapped up in a picture of us killing zombies. Merry Christmas. 
right? This kind of exchange is nowhere close. And even this analogy pales in comparison to this kingdom treasure we can have. This second narrative is similar to the first, but the character is slightly different. You see, this second man, he was in search of fine pearls. This individual had purpose in his search. He was dedicated to the pursuit of that which was valuable. And nevertheless, there is still this element of surprise as he comes across this pearl of such great value. And it prompts the same response as that of the poor man who stumbled across the treasure. This merchant knew he would never find something of greater value anywhere in the world. He had already scanned the globe. And it was worth selling all that he had, which probably would, ha- would have been much, in order to secure it. He does not purchase it in order to sell it again. He doesn't purchase it to flip it and make a profit. He purchases it to possess it. His joy was in possessing it. And some might be tempted to say about the first man, of course he sold everything he had. He was poor. It wasn't much. That was a good exchange for him. But here is a man who wanted for nothing. You know that dream list that you have in your mind, just kind of an ongoing thing? He had all of that. The car that you want, the house that you want. He had, he had the kids that you want. <laughs> That's on everyone's dream list. And he still had to sell it all. See, no matter your status, stature, or strength, if you want to go all in, it takes everything. He had to go all in in order to attain what was more valuable than anything else. And Jesus is driving home this point that to be half in doesn't make sense. There was no having the treasure without getting rid of everything else. To be half in doesn't make sense. Try to get half into an elevator and go up. Ouch. Try to put half your pants on and go to work. You get fired. You can't have half a cat, right? Unless it's for dinner. If you halfway eat something, that's called choking. What if we just went halfway to the moon? Or what if Columbus just went halfway to America? And what if you just went over the river and never went through the woods? Your grandma would be ticked. Half in doesn't make sense. For many of us, we want to give half to Jesus. We, we would just want halfway in relationship with him because we want the promise of his faithfulness to us without ever promising our faithfulness to him. But don't miss this because here is where most of us get hung up. We believe it is to our detriment, that it is a, a sorrowful thing, a burden to give up all that we have in order to have the prize that is Jesus. But Jesus tells us that it was in their joy that they sold what they had to secure the treasure. This radical life-altering change is the exchange of our otherwise meaningless existence for one full of purpose, fullness, and blessing. So we must make radical change if we hope to secure this treasure for ourselves. Paul says this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I love this passage. We should come back and preach a whole sermon on this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not of earth, for you died to this life, and your, new, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. 
And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory. So put to death, therefore, the things of the sinful nature, those earthly things that are lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, and lust, and these evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. And you used to do these things when your life was still a part of the world. And I love verse 8. But now, now is the time to get rid of your anger and rage and malicious behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you've stripped off that old nature and all of its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. And I love verse 8. Now is the time. There is no better time than now. There's no better day than today. And when you find Jesus, the treasure of all treasures, you go all in because that's it. That's everything. Today, right now, in this moment, he's calling you. He's knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, that thing that you've been holding on to, it's time to give it up. It's time to let it go. That thing that you've elevated over and above me, it's time to surrender it. Friends, do you really want to go through 2021 in the same state that you spent all of 2020 in? That sin cycle, that shame that hung over your head like a dark cloud, that overwhelming feeling of anxiousness and worry, that forgiveness that you know you need to extend but you've been holding on to because you just can't. And friends, I, man, I wonder, Is there anyone bold enough in this room today to just simply say, I need Jesus? Whether you've known him for five minutes or 50 years, it doesn't change. You still need him. And there's so many of us who are walking in and out of these doors and just pretending church. And man, my heart is burdened because I know the sin that sits in these seats. I know the deceit. I know the addiction. I know the pursuit of things that are not honoring to God. I know what you've been saying about other people behind their back. I'm not saying I know these things specifically. I'm just saying I know this is true of us because I see it in my own life too. And are we bold enough today to stand up and say, I need Jesus and I want to go all in. I don't want to pretend anymore. I don't want to hide this anymore. I don't want to be fake There's real, true, genuine, life-changing life on the other side of our confession. And friends, in order to be clean, you have to come clean. You have to change. In order to go all in, we have to choose. We have to change. And number three, we need to accept the challenge, the challenge of kingdom building. For those who know what real life is, who understand that change means growth, we welcome challenge. We live for challenge. We see challenge as a privilege. Jesus, as he was leaving the earth, did not say, now hold on tightly to everything I gave to you and never take any risks and make sure you stay safe. No. He stood in front of his followers and he said, go. Go into all of the world and tell people about me. Probably the most dangerous thing he could tell them to do. When you've exchanged all of who you used to be for all of who God promises you can become, you don't see challenge as a choice, but as the only way of life for a disciple. Some of us are asking, why does it matter that I answer the call of Christ to go all in today? 
And I'll tell you, because your world needs you to be ready to engage it with the gospel. Your workplace, your family, your team, your CrossFit class, the lady who checks you out at the gas station, they need you to be ready to engage them with the gospel, to express to them the hope of the world, Jesus, who brings light into dark places. See, many of us are still operating under the realm of someday. Someday when I have enough money, someday when my kids are grown, someday when life slows down and I have more time, someday when I know the Bible better, someday when whatever, you fill in the blank. We all have our someday I will. But listen, you and I run the risk of sacrificing all that God wants to do in us and through us on the altar of someday. But we should begin today to dream big, bold visions for the future. Start today becoming the man or woman you've dreamed about becoming tomorrow. If you don't, you will not reach that potential. Let me just crack the door on my own life for a minute. My whole life, I've just been scared by the expectations of other people. And so in a place like Bible college where I should have had the opportunity to thrive and grow and to step up and to learn how to preach and do all kinds of things better, I just kind of hid. I was afraid. So I was afraid of the expectations of other people, and maybe you are too. Maybe this line of thinking resonates with you. I don't give my best because it's not failure that I'm afraid of, it's success. Because what happens if I do something well one time, then people are going to expect that from me over and over and over again, and I don't know if I can handle it. And so we constantly decline. We never take a step forward. The person that the Spirit has been tugging on your heart to tell about Jesus, you still haven't because you're just afraid. There's a young preacher in this room today who needs to hear this. It's time to stop being afraid. God tells his people throughout his word 365 times to not fear. Listen, I'm not great at math, but I think that's one per day. Over and over and over again, God uses messy, broken, scared-to-death people to accomplish his purpose. And listen, whatever God is leading you to, he will equip you for His desire is that you would do it with excellence, that you would give your best each and every day, living all in all the time for the gospel. There's a businessman in here today that needs to hear this. You need to realize your full potential for kingdom influence and impact. God has placed this in your lap to be faithful and to be fruitful. To go all in for him means submitting every minute, every dollar, every day. And saying, God, what would you choose to do through me? There's a mom in here today who is tired and lonely and burnt out. God has called you to and commissioned you for kingdom work in the lives of your own children within the walls of your own home. Your patience and grace and humility are not unnoticed. They have a profound impact on your children. Your songs over them, your scripture reading to them, it matters Your encouragement to live righteously and purposefully in a very dark world is making a tremendous difference in the trajectory of their lives, no matter how many eye rolls they give you. Keep it up. The challenge we are to live in is the Great Commission. When you commit to Jesus, you are committing to his mission. And there are far too many Christians who have reduced this whole religious system down to sin management who see Jesus as their personal buddy, who, who see Jesus as a good luck charm or something to make a wish to. But Jesus, he's not your buddy. 
He's not your fun uncle. Jesus is Lord, and he couldn't care less if you like him. Jesus is not a celebrity. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is the conquering king who will bring everything and everyone under his submission when he returns to the earth. Jesus is God himself made man who has inaugurated a kingdom whose reign will never end. It is ever increasing. And friends, you are either all in or nothing at all. You either live in the tension of the challenge of Jesus to tell the whole world about him or you do not. Having chosen him, having been changed by him, you now live in the challenge he puts in front of us to be people of purpose, to be people of influence, to give our best and then some, to wake up each day with this holy haunting that there are those in our lives who are on a trajectory of tragedy if someone does not intervene in the name of Jesus. To commit to Jesus is to be all in. And you're either all in or nothing at all. I love the quote from Val Kilmer's character in the movie, The Ghost in the Darkness. He simply says this, you're a bridge builder. You need to go where the rivers are. Friends, God has called you, challenged you, commissioned you as a follower of his to be someone who helps other people go from who they were to who they can become in Christ to be a bridge builder. And in order to do that, we have to go where the rivers are. Part of the treasure is the challenge. Part of the challenge is to love his church. And man, I'm baffled at the number of Christians who don't value church highly, who sleep in on Sundays and who don't engage in service to the local body. This is no longer a growing issue. It's an epidemic, and I'm not here to shame you. I'm here to challenge and encourage you. There is better, more real, more valid life when you give of yourself. But let me tell you something. You don't love Jesus unless you love his bride. You don't look anything like Jesus unless you love and serve his church. And there's nothing more valuable than a full, well-lived life, one of purpose and passion, and you can only have it if you go all in. So, Community Christian Church, will you go all in today? Will you go all in with Jesus? Will you choose him? Will you be changed by him? Will you live in the challenge that he presents? He has placed this in front of you. Will you follow him? Will you go all in? Because you're either all in or nothing at all. I want to close today by just telling you a quick story about my friend Josh. I've got a, a picture of him here. Um, Josh is one of the students in my ministry. And uh, Josh was uh, in, in seventh grade when I started there. And Josh stayed in our middle school group the whole time because uh, Josh has Down syndrome. And Josh is an incredibly effervescent character. He became sort of this unofficial mascot of our group. All the kids loved him. He loved, to, he loved to pray. He loved to dance. He loved to sing. He loved to do all kinds of things. And Josh is awesome, and I, I miss him so much. Josh was in my small group uh, with my other uh, eighth grade boys. This is uh, a few years ago now, so they would have been in seventh grade. And uh, we were sitting around in the circle, and I don't know if you've spent much time around middle school boys. Um, it's trying. It's difficult. Uh, there's a lot of prayers that go up, both heard and unheard. 
And so we're sitting in the circle. I'm trying to ask them some questions about the material that we had talked about that night. And they're kind of poking each other and pulling out their phones out. I have to slap their hands. Hey, put your phone away. We're not doing that right now. All kinds of stuff. They're farting and burping. I mean, this is, this is just real, okay? This is, this is youth ministry. This is happening constantly. And, and I'm just kind of like, oh, my goodness. You know, I just needed a minute. And Josh always sat right next to me on my right-hand side. And I'm just kind of like, oh, my goodness. And he just puts his arm around me and goes, Hang in there, buddy. All right. Josh was also the kid who, man, it'll just it'll wear you out. So I had a big yawn one night in group, and he stuck his finger in and out of my mouth several times as I was yawning. He's just a goofball. He's just an honorary kid, and, and he's awesome. And Josh would always pray us out of our group. He, it was his favorite thing to do. Sometimes he could engage in the conversation, but sometimes he just couldn't quite figure it out. But he loved to pray. And he'd always pray these big, long prayers for his, his family, and he would pray very specific things about his sister and brother, who were also in my youth group, and I learned a lot about their lives from just hearing Josh pray for them. But Josh closed his, Josh closed his, um, his prayer one night this way. God, thank you for church, and thank you for Joel, and thank you for our group, and Jesus all day, every day, amen. I was like, man, that kid figured it out. I don't know, listen, I don't know if any of my other, some of them went to Bible college. I still don't know if any of them figured it out that whole time I was their youth minister. But Josh figured it out. And we had this mantra in our group, Jesus, all day, every day. And, I, and I'm here to tell you, if a seventh grade boy who has Down syndrome can figure it out, we can. If a seventh grade boy can live with that kind of joy, that kind of reach, that kind of profound impact to be someone who reminds others to live Jesus all day, every day, you can too. So that's the call today. You're either all in or nothing at all, and to be all in is just, it looks like this. Jesus, all day, every day. Let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be reminded of my friend Josh and his just incredible way to have an impact on people. Thank you for the words that he said. Thank you for how it's shaped even my own life. And I pray, Lord, this morning that we'd be reminded of what you're beckoning of us. God, would you help us to choose? Would you help us to be changed in you and through your spirit? And God, would you help us to accept the challenge that you've laid in front of us? God, we want to go all in. And there are hearts in the room who are hesitant right now. They're unsure of what to do. Maybe they're ashamed or afraid. Maybe they're thinking, oh, I can't stand up and say I need Jesus. But yes, they can. Would you embolden them through your spirit? God, would you help us to respond and to be, just to be real? Say, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we want you. Jesus, we want to go all in. So we're either all in or nothing at all. Amen.